Hi there. My name is Jessica Crow, and I am the founder of Apogee. Apogee is a change management training and consulting firm, and this is Change Leader Insights. This is our podcast where I get the privilege of interviewing experts, academics, change leaders of all different backgrounds and experiences. And today I have with me Douglas Flory, who is a member of the board of directors. He's the treasurer for the Association of Change Management Professionals, which I also am a part of, the Colorado chapter, um, but have became familiar with Douglas through the work that he's doing with ACMP, the content that he's sharing, the um, information that he puts into social media. I, I follow it. I resonate with it. So uh, I really wanted to have a chance to talk with him. He's also a change management consultant. So if you're in the market for a consultant, Douglas does do that as well. But um, thank you so much for being here today. I'm really excited to talk with you about change management, change readiness, and also the topic of resilience and maybe the link between the too. So thanks for being yeah, here. It, it's my privilege. I'm humbled to be here with you. And, uh, you know, I could talk change management all day with you. So thank you. Yeah, I look well, forward to it. Me too. Maybe a little background then for people yeah. who are um, tuning in. How did you get into change management in the first place? <laughs> I love that question. Because uh, <laughs> I use that same question sometimes too. And so here's my story. Okay. Uh, it was, it's a very distinct memory that I have. Uh, I, I recall it pretty clearly. I was in fourth grade. <laughs> the teacher had career day. Oh, and, cool. you know, she's going around the class. And my, I'm looking at my friends and they're like, yeah, baseball player, nurse, doctor, teacher, all these things. And it, then finally my turn came and I said, global organizational change management leader. Yeah, right. And the entire class just stopped and said, like, who's that kid? <laughs> I, Me too, uh, which is a funny story. No, I'm I kidding. Know. We showed them, didn't we? <laughs> so I made Miss I, I made Miss Applegate really happy that day. I yeah, she was impressed, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, like like most people these days, I found my way into change yeah. management. Uh, you know, which is interesting because literally in the in today's age there's a lot of graduates coming out of college and university programs like northwestern and usc and so many mm -hmm. others that are producing some really great future leaders mm -hmm. and they literally are starting in school but me i found my way uh i graduated i had i had this career in mind and then uh it, that didn't happen <laughs> so <laughs> i i landed at a financial institution and uh they started throwing these different methodologies at me. And I was like, I don't know what this stuff what is. What is this? Yeah. And so they started off with project management. And then it was like Lean Six Sigma. And then uh, uh, I guess I was doing well. And they kept throwing more at me. And then they were like, hey, here's this change management thing. And I was like, what's that? Right. <laughs> I didn't know what it was. And um, to be honest, I didn't really appreciate it for what it was at that time. Because yeah. I was like absorbing so much. And so I kept the materials and I still have them today. Uh, that was like 20 some years ago. Whoa. Yeah. But uh, eventually that's how I got into it. And then I started realizing, wow, this is a really, as I started doing all these methodologies, I realized it all comes back to people. Absolutely. That's, that's where I landed and that's what I've been doing. And I, I'm, I'm fortunate and blessed to be able to do that. And I love it. Good. I love that story because I resonate with that story. I uh, was trained and certified in change management, not knowing 
Mm-hmm. You know, I, I joined an organization they're like, you're going to do change management. You're going to be part of the founding team of this change management organization. I was like, great. What is this? And so when, you know, I, like most people who likely go through the process of learning about change management, it's a lot of stuff you're already doing, but it, the training sort of brings it together in a way to help you think about it in a more strategic way. And I liked that a lot about it. And I still have my, you know, my resources that I um, acquired back then, but in every role. So I didn't stay in change management. I went from one role to another. Um, there's this really cool, you know, leadership development program at the organization I was at in every single role. However, I used my change management skills. So that's kind of, you know, why I'm still doing change management, because to your point, it's all about the people. You could have this amazing solution, this amazing idea, but unless people align with it, buy into it, want to change, they're not going to. (laughs) So it's a really, it's a really neat uh, way of thinking about solving business problems by working with and through people. Um, Yeah. yeah. So, you know, so for people who are, again, tuning in, um, we talk about change readiness and resilience and some of the forums that we have access to through ACMP. So plug for ACMP as well. Uh, and it's really great conversation and it gets me thinking about how we do what we do differently. And when it comes to the topic of resilience, um, I've presented that a few times and I've gotten some interesting feedback from other change management professionals and counterparts where the idea is, well, there's so much of you know human behavior and what's happening in a person's life that trying to uh, be responsible for supporting or encouraging or developing resilience is, isn't really what we do. It's not in scope. We Mm -hmm. think, you know, they, you know, it's more of a, we align with the project and we make sure people are ready. And then, you know, we do all the things we need to do, but resilience isn't really, you know, something we do. And then on the other hand, people are like, well, today, well-being is a topic in organizations and Mm -hmm. it does matter how people feel and their overall mental health, physical health, you know, the structure, the environment. So I just, what is your take on, uh, you know, the, when it comes to being a change management leader or a change leader in the organization, how do you think about enabling, getting your team ready and this concept of also resilience, you know, and, and is there a bridge between the two? Yeah, I, I do. I see there, I do see the value in that, but I think it's two different things in my mind, at least how I approach it. Uh, so I think it's well-being and resilience and, There's a correlation, but I think they're distinct and separate. So yes. well-being to me is like mental health, physical health, uh, making sure you're able to have balance and, and, and mm-hmm. a sense of purpose and you're doing something that's meaningful. Right? Yep. Um, resilience to me, though, is something that like, it's almost like character. Like mm-hmm. how do you teach character or mm. how do you teach resilience? I remember somebody asking me that question one time, how do you teach character? And I said, you know, back at the time, I was like, I don't think you can. I think you (laughs) concepts and principles and you either agree to them and apply them in your life. And therefore you stick to them and you go through trials, events, experiences, and that shapes and molds your character. And I think the thing is kind of true with resilience because I hear a lot about this as well. And often what I hear or see is change fatigue, Mm -hmm. but I'll be, I'm just going to come out and say, I don't like that word. I think, I think it's um, 
I think it's more about change resilience. Yes. Because if you think about like, you know, this time of the year, a lot of people are going to the gym because they're renewing their, their focus on what their life and what they want to do. Right. You go to the gym and it's been a while, you know, you start exercising and your muscles are weak. They're tired. They're sore after you, that first workout. Mm-hmm. So that's, yeah, that could be fatigue. Sure. Mm-hmm. But after you keep going to the gym, you start getting stronger, faster, quicker, your, your heart rate and everything is doing really well. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden you've gotten stronger and you're able to endure and, res- and be more resilient because yeah. of that. Yeah. And I think what we're all trying to do is, I think inherently, biologically, we are not programmed or conditioned for change. We yeah. either fight or flight. Yeah. But the good news is that we can get strong at change if we exercise our muscle. And I think that's what a lot of people are going through right now. So it feels like fatigue. Yeah. And I think fatigue is, is real. It can be very real. But I propose that you're building your strength. And if you continue to go through those experiences, you will get stronger and stronger. So really, it's, that's how I delineate the resiliency of it. And, and that's a great way of um, explaining it too. So how, how would you then for someone who, you know, you mentioned about building character, it's you, it's principles and concepts and you mm-hmm. consistently align with them. And then over time that character develops because you do or you don't same with yeah. going to the gym, you might feel mm-hmm. that fatigue, but then over time you'll have stronger muscles and that's that resiliency in a, in a business, in the business world, in an organization, what are some um, potential like strategies or ways of thinking that could help an individual develop resilience to the continual change, the pivots in the organization, the new solution that's being implemented, the new person on their team? How, what would you do um, or what would you recommend? Well, typically, typically what I like to start off with in this area is uh, introduce growth mindset and yeah. focus on the mind. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so many times our mind can really influence the way we perceive things, the way we think about things. And therefore, you know, as we do like, um, you know, like professional athletes, they do imagery, right? Mm. In their mind, mm-hmm. and they think about a specific play and they close their eyes and they're imagining the entire scene. And then they go out mm-hmm. and they do it and it's normal, it's natural for them. Right. They, they excel at such high levels, you know, with professionals and Olympics and all that stuff. Yeah, Michael Phelps was big into visualization. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And LeBron James and every Michael Jordan, they use it. Um, So many of them use it. So I think that's one thing to focus on is what is your mindset? Mm -hmm. Is it a growth mindset where you can learn, you can continue to grow? This is an opportunity. This is not a challenge. This is not something Mm -hmm. to be fearful of. This is something or something that's happening to you is something that's happening for you. Mm -hmm. How do you respond to that change? Number one. And then if you can understand that, I think that can take you much further. I think the second thing you could do is kind of help everybody understand what is it you can control and what can you not control? Mm -hmm. What's in your your circles that you can influence and not influence? Mm -hmm. You know, we can't influence something like a global pandemic or we can't influence uh, those big things that are out of our control. Mm -hmm. Those kind of happen and that that's, those are anomalies that, I, I don't really feel like it was in our scope for this conversation. Right, right. But there are things we can control. Like when we go to work, 
How do we engage with our, our colleagues or how do we feel empowered or engaged? Um, mm -hmm. How do we respond to that change? And think about historically when you've had change at work, how, how did that go? What, what influenced you? Was it a good experience? Was it a bad mm -hmm. experience? Did change management become a bad word? Right, <laughs> Hopefully right. Hopefully not. But setting the stage with those kinds of things, I think really helps. And then lastly, I think, well, I don't know if it's lastly, but the third thing that comes to my mind is that um, has changed leaders and as even as leadership, right. we should be looking at what is it that we're creating and asking everybody to focus on for the year, whether it's KPIs or certain performance indicators or goals or you know, just part of whatever your daily job is. And then how are we coordinating and organizing that in a way that it's not overwhelming? Here, here comes 300 things at once. Wow, that's, that's not gonna help anybody. <laughs> that's gonna right. you know, burn them out and that's not gonna work. You're not gonna get the result. But if you strategically, strategically <laughs> lay that out, like a comms plan or, or some kind of roadmap or something, yeah. do it in ways that maybe you take those 100 items or whatever, and you group them together because they kind of have common ground mm -hmm. or here's another group that has common ground and lay them out over a period of time. It doesn't have to be a week, a month, a year. It could be a couple of years, but if you right. can do that, then you're influencing the cadence, the pace and the capability and capacity of what people can deal with. Yeah. So you get best results. And that was, and you made a really good distinction between, you know, well, and I'll say this as change management leader, change leader, and then leader. And it's, it's all sort of one in the same yet. There is the distinction in organizations that have a dedicated change management professional. Yeah. However, really where the change gets diffused and is through that leader of the people of the teams. And so, you know, the things that you were describing that, if I'm an individual on a team, how do I develop that growth mindset? How do I prepare myself and ready myself for continual change? If I'm a leader of a team, what kinds of conversations can I be having with my team to nurture and coach and create that type of change ready environment? And then, then you have the change management professional who now is in that more consulting internal or, you know, external role, how do I shape and guide the conversations that the team leaders are having that, you know, with their teams. And so it's all connected in many ways. Um, it really is. Yeah. Yeah. And then what kind of conversation would you have with the C-suite? where, you know, I think that's a tricky one um, for many because it's like, well, we already do change management. We've got leaders of teams or we've got, you know, our, our processes, we've got communications team and emails and, you know, like, well, you know, I think the pacing and prioritization part is an anchor for me, at least in having conversations with the C-suite, but I, I'd love to hear how, how do you um, bring the reality of, of, you know, how do you make change management important when you're talking to a, a, an executive leader who is focused on many different things, but financial performance is also a key driver of their, uh, you know, the world. they're thinking about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I, I like to, 
one of the, some of the tricks I like to use are storytelling, analogies, yeah. metaphors, things like that. And one of the, I remember a time when I came to a C-suite and they were completely new to change management, but they thought, you know, yeah, we got this. It's just yeah. you know, it's an email and you, you just create the materials, yada, yada. Uh, and I, I, we tried that and it didn't work. <laughs> so I came back to them and I said, have, you know, I gave them the parallel and I said, have you ever been to a concert? And, I, and they were all, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just went to one. And, and this one person who was really in, you know, into music, um, I asked them, what was the last concert you went to? And they, and they told me the name of the band. And I was like some 70s band. I don't mm-hmm. remember. But anyway, my po- the point was, I said, how was that experience for you? What was it like when they played your favorite song? And, and how did you, what were your memories of that concert? And they were like, oh, it was the best thing ever. Everybody was just hitting the right notes. They were yeah. singing, they were in harmony. It was just like I remembered the song and oh, they just, they were awesome. And it was great. I bought a shirt and I still listen to it this day. You know, all those kinds yeah. of things. I was like, yeah, that's that's great. Those are, and everybody else was like, yeah, I've had that kind of thing too with my, the band I like or whatever. I was like, well, what would it be like if you went to that concert and the drummer's like, you know, completely off rhythm, doesn't remember mm. when to hit the cymbal or, or whatever. And the rock singer's completely off tune. And the, the guitarist is like, you know, playing bass instead of the acoustic guitar. And <laughs> the piano guy's hitting the wrong keys. What would that experience be like? And they were like, oh, that would sound like, you know, garbage. Yeah. I would want my money back. I'd want to refund. Yeah. But what, is this even the same band I know? Or a cover band? right (laughs) and I was like exactly and because of of those individuals trying to perform on all these different things they're not collectively orchestrated Mm. and if you orchestrate your efforts around that you can create something amazing that people love they remember it creates an amazing experience for them that's positive and that's what we're trying to do and all of a sudden light bulbs started going off because instead of throwing change management stuff at them I, I i went human and said here's something we all relate to what would yeah. that be like? yeah and then that's a great that's a great way at that point i just provided some data points right. from like their surveys from some performance indicators historical factors things like that and they were like we have been doing that yeah yeah oh that's cool i mean that's a really you know as you were describing it in my head i was visualizing all the things. So that's a really nice way of um, explaining the value of utilizing change management um, as, you know, in an organization and having that care and focus. So that's, that's cool. And and secretly, you know, if you think about it a little bit further, if you get into the nerdery of it, uh, you know, music has timing, it has cadence, it has rhythm. And that's what we're trying to establish. When it, in your culture, yeah. because that's very yeah. much a part of your culture is the rhythm, the, the cadence, the, the flow, the way you do things. Those are all part of your, your culture. And if you can embed this into your culture so it becomes routine, you're going to see dividends on the results when you make these tweaks and changes to your performance. Mm-hmm. And do you think that you know what you've just described too can contribute to the resilience of an organization as a result of making those tweaks and modifications so everyone's singing and playing in harmony? I do. 
And the reason why is because if we think about neuroscience, our brains, what do they, what do they wanna do? They don't wanna continuously be active and be trying to solve math problems or whatever. They mm -hmm. wanna be in efficiency mode. They wanna be automatic and routine and ritual and, be, and those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So if you can find those rituals and routines and, and establish them as part of your culture, so that this meeting happens on this day every week or every month or whatever. And we know that this report's gonna come out on this, this second week of every month, or this is going to happen then. And we're forecast, you, then you can start to forecast things almost. And yeah. Can forecast things and they become more predictable. Yeah, that's what I was reliable, thinking of, yeah. Habit, a ritual, it's ingrained and everybody just knows this is how we operate then you're seeing that resilience. And when something comes up, they can then show their agility and ability to navigate better than when there's not so much structure or, or routine. Yeah. They've got their, their coping skills are likely better to handle those exactly. ups and downs. But would you, you know, when I think about the today's workplace, you mentioned that rest digest, that parasympathetic nervous system being activated, right? If we're thinking about the behavior, uh, the neuroscience of change, most before the pandemic, stress was the global epidemic. And so most people are operating at a frequency that is constantly looking for those threats and change yeah. in that environment, any shift, even small ones, it's like, is that a threat? Is that a threat? Is that a threat? So that executive functioning, that capacity to cope is diminished because of the environment, because of, you know, not having that ability to prioritize, to pace, to think about, to group, you know, changes together. So it is, it is so important to be able to do that, but many organizations are, Swirling. It's an uphill battle. Yeah. yeah. Like they're already like, okay, you've got people who are really high performing, but their default is stress. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah. you know, in that, in that type of environment, it really does take a collective effort and, and, you know, a shared understanding about the value of why kind of bringing things down a notch could be mm -hmm. make the organization even more effective in what it does right. on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think it, it's very true. Everybody for the last three years has gone through a lot, companies mm -hmm. and organizations included. And I think a lot of people are maybe beginning to feel more comfortable, perhaps, mm -hmm. uh, as a result of things becoming a little bit more, I don't want to say the way they were or normal, mm -hmm. but um, n not so hypersensitive or inactive as a mm -hmm. result of what we were going through. Mm -hmm. um, and as they're coming out of that, I think, you know, now they're dealing with a lot to figure out, um, even children, especially uh, mm -hmm. with everything that they're going, had to go through as well. But I think when we, when so many times we hear the words like, oh, we want to go back to the way things were. And I don't think really what they're, often I think what we, we translate that into and I don't know, tell me, if, tell me what your thoughts are on this, but I think a lot of it translates or somehow all the jump sudden jumps into the conversation of RTO, hybrid and remote. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's really what they're seeking. I think what they're seeking is some kind of routine, some kind of habit, some kind of normalcy 
so that they they can feel that sense of comfort because their brain has been so active all the time that they're just so desensitized almost to the what they've been going through yeah i think the whole remote rto thing hybrid that's another thing that they have to consider but i think truly what they're looking for is that cadence that rhythm the the orchestration of things that that makes a lot of sense to me actually um and i agree with what you're saying it does seem like it's not necessarily where people are working Mm -hmm. and how it is more about having that stability and consistency and knowing what to expect that predictability that you mentioned. So they can really focus on doing the work versus trying to identify the threats. Right. (laughs) And, and manage all of that. Um, Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and when we even when we get back into normalcy, yeah. our brain is going to continue to go back into that, you know, that automatic mode of efficiency. Mm-hmm. It's going to continue to scan for threats. It always mm-hmm. has, always will. That's always how we're has. designed, yeah. That's how we're designed. So, you know, that's kind of why it's fight or flight. It's scanning continuously in the environment to say, is this a threat? Or is this person a threat? Or is that thing a threat? And we don't traditionally stop and think about it because it's just automatic and routine yeah you know, we, don't, we don't sit there and go hold on is that computer a threat is that right. <laughs> is this a threat? it's just it just happens yeah in, a, in, a, in an environment right and we're inundated with that even mm-hmm. if we don't even realize it the content that we consume outside the workplace the you know there's always that potential for threats unless we're self-aware to recognize okay how, you know our own level of resiliency and what we might need to restore that. And then in the workplace as leaders, how can we create more stability and consistency so our teams can perform to their fullest potential versus constantly scanning, constantly, um, you know, operating at a higher, uh, you know, higher threat level, I guess. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but that way they can, they can handle the big changes or the small changes that come their way as a part of, day-to-day, you know, working life and also home life. And as you think about that, sorry, this just entered my mind, but it's almost parallel to how people go through change. Mm -hmm. We think, you know, whether or not you like the change curve and Kubler-Ross concept, I'm not going to, I'm not here to debate that. But the, the concept is that people go through change at different rates of speed. Mm -hmm. So you, Jessica, might be more advanced further down the road than I am in, mm-hmm. in the change. Whereas I might be a little bit more latent and behind because I'm just now getting the information or you know things at home are a little bit different or right. whatever it is is causing me to be a little bit slower, but I'm still moving through that process. Right. I think, I think that's kind of an interesting parallel as to how that resilience and fatigue can happen. You know, yeah. you may be really strong high performer because your resilience and everything, like you said, my performance, my resiliency may be still recovering and rebuilding and, and getting back to where I was. Yeah. I'm not quite there yet. And that's where that well-being for me, it, it there is a connection between well-being and resilience. I do think it is two distinct things. The way that you explained it earlier is was spot on. And yet, you know, you mentioned there's somebody who's got things going on outside the workplace that's affecting their resiliency in the organization. And that's why having that awareness that that is a reality of 
our employees, they're, you know, as much as we'd like to think we keep it separate, it's, you know, it's all one and the same. It it's, all affects. You're the, you're the same person, whether yeah. you walk in this door or that door. Yeah. And we're going to, you're going to have emotions, whether you're at home or at, or at the restaurant or at school or at work or wherever you're yeah. a human. So yeah. you can't and separate it. You can't. And well, and that's, that's what makes, you know, change management and implementing change in an organization. So um, not complicated, but the, the thoughtfulness, I mean, you have to balance to the demands of the business and the, and, and, you know, you, there are reasons that there are goals and milestones and deadlines in place, because that's how you will progress and yeah. go towards something that can be you know, an amazing experience if, if handled well, how do you, or how do you, you know, I guess when you're thinking about balancing individual here, who's resilient and uh, able to adapt and flex. And then this person who isn't quite as resilient because of a lot of different factors, how do you balance that? Like, how do you, how do you think about timing and mm -hmm. kind of accommodations would you recommend organizations make, or is it about, like, what would you do? What, would, what kind of guidance would you give? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, um, well, I think middle managers have a very hard job. They do. But yeah. they also are the epicenter of your success. Um, whether it's trying to lead a team to achieve a, a goal or an individual goal mm -hmm. or help the organization uh, and contribute to that line of sight of, CEO has said, let's achieve this. So how does my role do that? Mm -hmm. Or um, understanding them as people and humans, like, mm -hmm. you know, connecting, having that trust in a relationship with them that they can understand, you know, he's going through a divorce at home. So he's probably having a hard time or, yeah. or you know, she's going through just had, just had triplets or, you know, whatever yeah. the different scenarios are at home, like you said, those could be really influencing people. And I think, you know, in a lot of ways, you see that in uh, working moms these days, they're having mm -hmm. a real challenge with a sense of guilt or direction or purpose of, should I be doing this? Or should I be over mm -hmm. here at home and helping? And mm -hmm. I hope that doesn't come across as, um, um, sexist or anything like that. No, but, there's a, there's a lot of conversation on LinkedIn right now yeah. about this very topic, and but for you know men too with children yeah. at home. Uh, yeah. So I think it I think not at all. I, okay. I, it resonates. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to I didn't want to burn down your uh, house. Um, but I, I know it's a reality because I the people I talk to um, and whether they're male or female or or whatever their situation is. It's a reality for them. Mm -hmm. But so I think there, there's that factor right there. Number one is having some kind of trust and relationship with those people so you can know where they are. And then you can help guide them and set expectations that are appropriate to meet them where they are. Yeah. When, and then when you look at it as a bigger structure, a bigger picture, like a program manager, a change manager, a leader, something like that, I think, you know, it comes down to like, almost stakeholder identification and engagement mm -hmm. is kind of what's in my head. And so I think about, let's say, you, you know, you could take it down to a, a macro level or a micro level. Mm -hmm. So a macro level may be a business unit, an entire mm -hmm. group. 
it may be a team or maybe at the micro level it's an individual or mm -hmm. a very small unit or something like that and yeah. understand like hey here's our change here's our journey you know stages a to z mm -hmm. is this team on that journey Mm -hmm. and kind of plot them on the journey yeah and then you can begin to see where are they and then over time strategically how can you help those who may be having a challenge or latency or understand what they're going through how can you strategically apply change to help them but also understand why they are where they are right and then progress over time from hopefully from you know low to high or yeah. resistant to adoption or something like that and i think if you can do that i think that will help you move the dial maybe not as fast as you want but you'll see the progress and the traction that you're looking for with context and the change will stick versus it being something that they revert back to their former behaviors you know, yeah. as you were describing that the it's, it was like lovingly holding them accountable, which, you know, another way to put it might be having compassion for the human experience. Yeah. Um, you know, and it kind of circles back to our earlier, you know, point, how do you teach compassion? Well, you either have it or you don't, but it's something you can develop yeah. by being more mindful and aware and maybe having more compassion for yourself. And then you can hold others accountable in the way that yeah. you describe, which is, you know, you're doing the things from the macro to the micro level. Um, but keeping that human experience, that person, the people front and center the entire time. Yeah. And I think when you do have that compassion, as you described there, I think it, you either have uh, empathy or you have sympathy or you have apathy. Right. Oh, Depending that's on what your experience it. is. Like, yeah. You know, I, I watch you know, as I mentioned before, I have children of all ages. Yeah. And when I first got them a puppy, some of the kids were like, oh, a puppy, this is the greatest thing ever. And they were totally connected to the dog. Other people were like, I'm scared of the dog. <laughs> you know, what is this thing? The younger children? Yeah. People, they were kind of apathetic toward it. Like, what is that thing? I don't know what to do. And, <laughs> you know, some of the other kids were just like hugging it and playing with it and feeding yeah. it for a walk. And you kind of see that. And then over time, you know, um, I have a colleague who just recently posted about his his furry friend who uh, recently passed away. And yeah. I was like, wow, that's really hard because animals have such a connection in our life. Yeah. And it's, and that's, it's when you have those type of experiences that you can be, uh, you can, hopefully you're not apathetic, but you can at least connect with them and be sympathetic or mm -hmm. empathetic. Mm -hmm. based upon where you what your experience is in connection to what they're going through yeah yeah and that empathy in action is that mm -hmm. compassion that yes, kind right. of brings it full circle yeah um, Douglas I have learned so much from this conversation and I really loved talking to you oh, and I you. also another takeaway is how to use storytelling to really paint the picture of what you're saying. Um, you did such a great job and it really helped reinforce how to think about things for me in a different way by using those stories. So um, note to self, oh, more storytelling, because that was really months. effective. Yeah. yeah. Is um, How do people, if they want to get in touch with you, mm -hmm. is LinkedIn the best way to find you? Um, and <laughs> yeah. it, it, 
LinkedIn, website. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. LinkedIn is my love language. So I love uh, LinkedIn. <laughs> I'm pretty, pretty active on there and you can go on there and connect with me. I'm, I love to be social. Um, doesn't matter what your tenure and change is, whether you're curious or you've been doing change for 20 years or whatever, or you just want to connect on whatever we have in common. Ask some I'd questions. Yeah. There. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I think that's a great way, but I just want to, if I may, I just want to close yeah. on, on this. I think, you know, storytelling is very powerful, but I think the words we use as change leaders are very important. And, Agreed. Um, you know, we're sitting here trying to convince everybody, our potential customers, our employees, our clients, whatever, that you need us to help you. But mm-hmm. yet we have all this taxonomy and vernacular out there that change is hard or mm. 75% of all uh, efforts fail, fail or, yeah. um, you know, change fatigue, things like those. Think about how you're conveying your message and what that means, not only to your brand, but mm-hmm. the profession and how it comes across to your employees, your customers, whoever your audience may be. Because when you use those types of words, then you know, Bandera's social change, uh, social learning theory comes into play and people are like, oh yeah, change is hard. Oh, change is hard. I hear that all the time. So change is hard. And it's not that it's hard, I don't think. I think it's that it's, you know, it's not natural for us human biologically, but it's complex. Yeah. Meaning that there's different components, there's different layers, kind of like Shrek said, I'm like an onion. You know, there's layers <laughs> in and if you can understand those layers, you can make it a better experience. And it's not as hard as yeah. uh, everybody quotes all these different things that are out yeah. there. Yeah, that's a great, we're going to have to have a follow-up conversation because I agree with you that language in how you frame and um, frame mm-hmm. things does impact people's perception and their yeah own belief system. The one where though, I think it's okay to say is change is hard because I think Mm -hmm. about exercise science and like putting in that effort, it is hard. It is, you know, like there is that part where it's difficult, but through that difficult, you develop that growth, that strength, that resilience. And so it's like, you know, but we'll have to, we'll have to save that for a whole other time. time. (laughs) I'd love that, but you're right. Exercise is hard. Exercise is hard. (laughs) (laughs) that that one you'll give me wonderful well thank you so much again for um having a conversation with me today i um, i'm excited to share this with uh, apogee's community with my community of friends on linkedin and other social media platforms but um yeah thanks so much i hope you have a great rest of your day thanks again for sharing your wisdom with with me yeah I, i sincerely appreciate it look forward to continuing to follow your journey and there's Same. anything I could do to help you or anybody watching, let me know. And this is a great start to my day. Thank you. Wonderful. Thanks, Douglas. All right. Bye.